Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ricky and Gareth. Hello, gentlemen. Good evening, Steph. Yes, I fibbed last week. I said Milo's coming back. It's that forest bathing racket, chaps. He's just he can't can't get away from it. In his speedos and fedora, sitting in the in in the amongst the trees with his pilsners, you know. big plate of spaghetti. Yeah, I big plate of spaghetti. <laughs> there we go. There we go. You you can you can thank us later for that image of Milo um, forest bathing. But there is only one quote to start with before I even give any of uh, the preamble of what we're going to be doing. And let's face it, we know what we're going to be doing. But let me just read this. I am not passive. If I see aggression, I answer with aggression. And, and look, I must tell you, dear listener, before we go any further, let there be no mistaking that if you've come here for a measured episode, you're probably going to be a little out of luck because what we saw at Stanford Bridge on Sunday was neither for the faint of heart or those who aspire to balance and calm. It was 90 degrees on the pitch, 100 degrees off it, and every single player who was part of the 2-2 draw with Chelsea, and I include them in this as well, was finding an extra inch gallop or tackle in their core selves. And look, we're going to do our deep holistic dive into this breathless blood and thunder encounter, which also, I, I don't know what you thought, chaps, I thought the craziest thing of all might well have been an Antonio mid-game tactical switch. <laughs> Who'd have thought, right? I mean, crikey. Anyway, so we'll be getting into that. We're also, we've got the week that was, and transfer, look, why do I even tell you this? I'm just going to get right into it. We're going to start by looking back at the week that was, and we'll steam in very quickly with the fact that Giovanni Lo Celso has joined Villarreal on loan for the 2022-23 season. The deal is reported to not include an option to buy, but Spurs will have the option to cancel the loan in January if we receive an acceptable bid for a permanent transfer. So, chaps, let's go Geo in the World Cup, right? Um, yeah, let's go Geo. I hope so. I'm a bit missed by this, really, because I'm... He's, I mean, he's played good games for Argentina before and and he was very good for Villarreal last year. So I'm not quite sure what's going on in the sense of uh, he looked good last year. So Villarreal, do you want him permanently? But no, they managed to sort of hike a bit of a back deal, kind of another one-year loan for him with no obligation, which rankles a bit, Steph. I want him gone, but it rankles me. Yeah. So, oh, but it's the business side that rankles you. You're not interested in him remaining at the club, are you? Oh, no, absolutely not. It's just that, but it also makes me wonder about what conversations he's had with Villarreal himself, knowing full well that, oh, just, just sit it out. They're, they're, I'm not in their squad. I'm not gone to the preseason tour. They obviously yeah. don't want me. So they're going to have to just accept anything in the end because of yep. the situation. But, well, I think it goes to show as well. I mean, you'd think other clubs would be in for him after last year, but, um, uh, it's just the finances, I think, all round Europe, really. Could be a bit of a... Yep. Yeah, there's yep. still Stumbler. two and a bit weeks to go to the transfer window. So what we've got to hope is that there is some movement and some clubs, sort of a, a grade B team somewhere across Europe has suddenly got an abundance of cash and need to create a midfielder and sees this fella playing in for Argentina in the World Cup and realises that maybe they've got 25 million euros yes. down the back of a sofa. But at the moment, yep. nobody does. Well, mm. good that he's moving. I think it's very good news. And, uh, you know, there was one transfer that you would have to say was almost serendipitous. It could indeed even have been destiny. No drums for that pun. No. Destiny Adoji has been agreed. You he's doggy. due to have a it's medical. Definitely, it's definitely you doggy, apparently. <laughs> oh, is it a doggy? Thank you. Apparently it is, yeah. Is it? Really? Yeah, okay. I think Ali Gold said it was you doggy. He's had it cleared by... um. um Excellent. Or whatever, country, no. whatever country would pronounce it that way. <laughs> whatever Italian. country will pronounce He's it Italian. that way. Sorry, yes. I didn't know where he was from. He is Italian, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Destiny yes. Udogi. Udogi. Yeah. Destiny Udogi. Udogi. Do you see yeah. the lengths to which the game is about glory will go to uh, to get the correct pronunciations? You're hearing it live. Um, anyway, Destiny Udogi. He is due to have a medical early this week before putting pen to paper on a five-year deal and becoming our seventh signing of the summer. He is joining from Udinese for a fee of 15 million quid, rising to 20 million quid with add-ons and will be loaned back for the 2022-23 season. And here is a stat. He got the second most goals and assists for a fullback wingback in Serie A in 2022 behind, can you guess, chaps? Perisic. It is Ivan Perisic, and we didn't even write that in the notes, did we? <laughs> we beat interest from Juventus and Inter to sign him, so he obviously is a bright prospect. So yeah, that's a good signing. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rip quickly through here, chaps, and carry on with uh, Ballon d'Or news. Of course, when you hear the words Ballon d'Or, you think Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. <laughs> 
Sonny and Harry Kane have both been nominated for the 2022 Ballon d'Or. Um, it's rumoured that the you know they might actually have two Ballon d'Ors this season because you can't give one to one and not the other. Nobody's going with me on that. My humour's really off tonight. Um, anyway, <laughs> they've both been nominated. And Hugo Lloris has been nominated for the Yashin Trophy, the Ballon d'Or Award for the best keeper on the planet. And the awards will see a winner announced in Paris in October. And we'll move swiftly on to Kit Matters. The third kit was launched on Thursday with grime superstar AJ Tracy giving us an authorised sneaky peek the evening before on TikTok. Let's face it, probably the worst kept secret in, in recent kit history. Uh, images floating around online for all, you know, all the time. And it's been on sale from counterfeiters for months. Uh, the, you know, the launch video featured several Spurs players in a club and party environment, which got the game is about glories, uh, you know, mind, mind whirling, I have to say. And there was a shot of Michael Dawson looking incredibly like Milo, actually, behind the wheels of steel. Um, yeah, if you've ever wondered what Milo looks like, there's a bit of the Dawson's about him, I think. Don't you, <laughs> chaps? He's got, a bit of, he's got a bit of the Dawson's about him. Uh, so behind the wheels of steel. But he does beg the question, chaps. Okay. Which Spurs player, past or present, would you want to be throwing down the tunes? Well, we, I think we did have a good... Well, me and Milo had a good um, to and fro over this on WhatsApp, I think. Um, and we should probably put this on Twitter as well, shouldn't we? We'd get this going yeah. well on our Twitter Absolutely. account. But um, yeah. um, my immediate my choice was... Um, I was going to say Milo, but no, it was Mido. <laughs> <laughs> It's only one letter difference. I was going, Milo. That was Mido, basically, because I give he gives me a vibe of he's a kind of larger than life character, Mido, isn't he? And if he grew, he grew easy grew, with the larger than life, easy true. with the larger than life. Come you on, can, now. you can do let's this. Be, he, could, be he could grow let's the old polite. dark, grow the old dark locks out again. So he's kind of and he remind remind yeah, me a bit of the old could. great great kind of Alfredo from Amnesia in Ibiza. It 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 carry that <sighs> club on his shoulders just. Pretty much like he used to carry Jermaine Defoe around quite often his shoulders after <laughs> goal, didn't he? And he's a bit of a legend, he's just, he all round. He I can be, see this. Yeah, he'd be everything to everyone, Mido would, in a he club. Would. He'd be so yeah, large, yeah. so large in life. Drinks, everything on him, and he'll just yeah. keep that whole kind of club rocking. But, um, yeah, that's yeah, a good but, call. No, yeah. Any suggestions, guys? No, no, I think my cultural choices are far more rudimentary than, than you hipsters. Pat so Sharp. Pat Sharp? No, <laughs> Pat Sharp. <laughs> go on um, in you go I, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking something classically 80s 90s cheese pop so uh, somebody someone like Steve Sedgley who epitomizes <laughs> that Sedgley. era really well yeah uh, Steve Sedgley would be Steve Sedgley is going to DJ your, uh, your 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 anniversary is he that's what he'll be doing he'll be, uh, I get him booked <laughs> in yeah he lives up the road from me I still bump into him every now and then I'll ask him excellent I like this I like this well when you do bump into him tell him what, ask him what he's listening to and let us know uh, I, I, I have to say I think I'm going for Sandro with a bit of Brazilian boss and over house I think he's showed down really nicely and then also I'm not sure if this works in reality but Verts and Alderweireld there's a cruder and Dorf Meister style thing really appeals to me as well. I could just see the two of them very smoothly working together, you know, just make it just making it happen, you know. Uh, so yeah, that, those are my tips. But yeah, me and Milo were, were venturing off into like who should play downstairs, who'd be out on the terrace yeah. doing the chill out stuff. It was getting quite, it was getting quite because I think yeah. Yang could be out on the terrace, you know, because yeah. you know we have his kind of crew yeah. up there. And I think Benny was in the basement downstairs with various, you know, other. <laughs> I think so, Serge yeah, Serjorier would probably be be having an underground hip hop club. I'm thinking as yep. well. I'm thinking that he's definitely sort of into deep into the Paris hip hop scene, right? I mean, that's yep. the vibe I'd I get. Say so. Definite, yeah. definite, uh, definite cellar room there in in the best possible way. I mean that you know that would be a think, room that you'd enter at your own risk. You know what I mean? It would be one yeah. of those. <laughs> I think, and Harry Harry Kane would probably be in the cloakroom, wouldn't he? Doing the cloak oh, sort of thing. <laughs> poor old Harry. He'd be at this. He'd sort of be at the nineties revival disco, wouldn't he? With well, him and Winksy would be. Him and Winksy would be doing <laughs> this, the simple stuff. No, no, Winx, Winx is all in the Ibiza room, I reckon. Yeah, well, you know that's not a bad shout, actually. He, could, yeah, but he's in the sort of square Ibiza area, if you know what I mean. He's yeah, in the sort yeah. of the lads Ibiza area. Yeah. But we've, of course, uh, wow, we're spending much longer on this than we should. But yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Eric Dyer, what is the legendary Eric Dyer doing? I think Eric Dyer's doing whatever the hell he wants. I think he can throw down anything. 
I think you want a bit of house. Eric's got you covered. I think Eric could probably get his techno head on. But I have to say, he's probably got a good bit of the Tiestos in him. Don't you think he's got a bit of that sort of stadium techno thing? You can see him. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a little bit of that, like, you know, he'd raise his hands in the stadium and everyone would be cheese bouncing. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, I think we should. uh, Milo. Put this up on Twitter. We got to we got to find out who uh, you know who do our listeners think uh, would be throwing down the tunes at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Anyway, all right. And look, some confirmation this week. Um, Jermaine Defoe was confirmed as returning to the club as a member of our academy coaching staff and as a club ambassador. With him working alongside our existing staff across the under seventeen to under twenty one categories, and the club also confirmed on Saturday that Yaya Toure is indeed taking charge of our under sixteens. And those are. Both, you know, appointments that we've already discussed, and I think we we all agree this is a, a very progressive step. Let's look at the loan roundups. Um, Troy Parrott played and got his first goal for Preston in a four-one win away to Huddersfield early last week. He played sixty minutes in that game and played ninety minutes also in Preston's one-nil win at Luton this week. Uh, so good stuff, good stuff for him. And Dane Scarlett started and played sixty minutes as Portsmouth beat Cardiff three 0 and also played sixty-seven minutes in their two-nil will at Cheltenham. So I suppose, chaps, what we can say is both players are getting good game time, right? Which is really important. I mean, that's yeah. that's what they're there for. Yeah, that's so. good for Scarlett because he's obviously he's still young, but he's getting mm-hmm. he's getting minutes. So that's good. But, yeah, um, in, indeed. Basically, like a string of Tottenham managers, I think you've forgotten Joe Roden. What's going on? Where's Joe? Where is Joe? What is Joe doing? He's alone. He is. And did he not play? Yeah, he's been playing, but he's not. He's not obviously in your notes. I think he's, he's played. Playing. He's played both games for Ren, I think, and he definitely started on, yesterday. I think, and on, he's playing, and he's playing as a right centre back. I seem to remember in my drifting, uh, my drifting adult mind, we uh, we got in our uh, notes that the uh, well, our our WhatsApp thread, that he was playing as a right centre-back, which actually yeah. would explain uh, wholly, uh, you know, why he made the move. Because if, if that was the slot that he was competing for with us, it's it's quite a challenge. So, yes, thank you for that. Thank you. We cover each we cover each other here. When I when I go into an attacking uh, position, you're you're sweeping in to cover the defensive rear guard there, well, Rick, uh, Ricky. Yeah, I much. think I think they got a decent one-one draw away to Monaco, didn't they? I think. Yeah, but I think I, I think you're absolutely. Right. I think Monaco had someone sent off in the first twenty minutes, so it's you know not as good as the result sounded. But good, we've got good we've got it all covered. We've got it all covered here, haven't we? Got it all covered. Thank you for that. Yes, indeed, Joe Roden um, having a successful beginning as a right yeah. centre back. Um, all or nothing. <laughs> we are committed to doing this uh, review. I've committed us to doing it. Uh, so uh, onwards we go. There was another dump from uh, Amazon, if you will, in the all or nothing series. And look, what I'll say is increasingly it becomes clear that, you know, this series, which for those of you who have no idea, is based on Arsenal Football Club um, and their season last season, 2021-22. It's increasingly clear to me that this is a vehicle to catapult Arteta to the fore. And, you know, clearly the producers have gambled. They don't care that he comes across you know, as full Brent. And and look, this cluster of episodes, the the highlight, literally the highlight for me, was the moment where he literally hugged a light bulb in the dressing room <laughs> and was going on about light as a unifying force or whatever he was blathering on about. I mean, I was too busy to sort of like flabbergasted. I, was, I mean, I was like, what the hell is going on here? But it does have to be said, Amazon has shown great editorial detail and they're, you know, they're making sure that, you know, every important fact in Arsenal season last season is covered. I mean, every fact except, uh, okay, hang on. Wait a minute, chaps. Did they forget something in this last cluster of episodes? Yeah, apparently in the Amazon um, cutting room, there was a problem that they lost all footage between about the 13th of January and the and the 20th of January. Oh, I think because because COVID strange. was so bad in the camp that Amazon oh. just weren't allowed there and therefore that week just didn't occur at all. Oh, and maybe maybe Amazon had COVID and, and couldn't. Yeah. But, oh, that's fair. And what that's did bad. happen that week? I forgot what different. happened. Can you can you refresh uh, our listeners? Anyone? What did happen? We, this is for this is for accuracy's sake, by the way. We want to help Arsenal Football Club and Amazon with uh, being accurate here. So this yeah. is, you know, well, Arsenal would correct. obviously, yeah, Arsenal had been heroes. They and they serialised this a couple of weeks earlier by being the only team to travel to a Premier League game that that weekend, and they went to COVID ravaged Leeds and mm. um, dispatched them four one. Uh, mm. But um, but but then they didn't play the North London derby because they had sold. Uh, loaned out and had a number of players suspended 
and um, <laughs> one player had COVID. That's right. My word. How how, how sure. utterly responsible of them to, to, by the way, to not play that North London derby with only one COVID uh, victim mm. in the camp. Um, yeah, you know, we, 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 we and, and you, you're surprised, actually, aren't you, that they didn't that they didn't make more of this uh, heroic and responsible public gesture, aren't you? I am. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm sure it works out well for them in the end. I'm, I'm sure that was the right thing to do to not play that yeah. game at, at that point. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as yeah, long yeah. as they've got all the coverage from May in the can, I don't really mind too much. Yeah. Well, it's going to be very interesting. And, in, you know, let's hope in accuracy's sake they do. I mean, it's a, it is a, a bit of a blip overall, I would say forgetting the fact that yes as gareth just said they did refuse to play the north london derby because one person had covid at the colney and it wasn't mentioned here but anyway apart from that it has to be said the die is cast isn't it with this series and i think gareth you and i were talking about the fact that actually they've you know amazon overall have done you know objectively speaking they've done a good job with this series you have to say it's quite interesting yeah, I, I, th- I think it is. And I think if you watch that and you're just watching Club X and you're not watching your, you know, your, your, your deadly rivals who you've, uh, have had, had a visceral dislike for for best part of 40 years, then you perhaps view it slightly differently. Um, <laughs> who, they, us? Surely us, not. <laughs> not. Not at all, no. Um, I mean, they're, they're very much portrayed in the series as, David and not Goliath, which I think is perhaps slightly out of keeping with the with the state of hubris that the supporters are usually in, and reminding us how much they won during sort of the fifties, the seventies, and, <laughs> and under Wenger as well, and all the bits that happened in the early two thousands. It, it's almost as if it's a team of the size of a you know, Crystal Palace or a, or a West Ham that they're picking up, which as a result makes them almost quite endearing because it's this it's, it's the little train <laughs> that can narrative that they are that they're that they're perpetuating at the moment. But Gareth, can it? The little train that can can it? And this is surely the point, isn't it? For everyone? I, I, yeah, I, I think watching episodes <laughs> eight and nine will define whether the little train could or not, or, uh, or could it, or whether could it run out of steam going up the hill at the end. Poor, poor little Thomas. Oh, dear. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, anyway, yep. So there you are. That's our roundup of uh of the uh of the latest episode of the Football Office. Uh, sorry, all or nothing. <laughs> and uh, we should move on now to transfer rumours. I think uh, very quickly. And uh, Tangi and Dombele. Fabrizio Romano is reporting that Napoli and Tottenham have reached agreement on a loan with an option to buy for Tangi and Dombele. Which look, it's a good thing for everyone. And I, I again, I sh- I hope I'm not speaking for everyone here when I say I do wish him luck. And I do hope that he can resurrect his career and get going somewhere because there is a brilliant footballer in there. And I don't think it's for the lack of desire that it didn't happen with us. I think it's one of those weird things where so many, you know, divergent forces converge in the negative. And I think he had the perfect or imperfect storm of that at Tottenham. So let's hope it works out, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I have a random positive. I can actually see him. Napoli tend to sometimes have a few kind of maverick players and a few kind of special talents. And oh, I can see him in that Napoli shirt, I think. And I'm not just talking yeah, about Maradona. Yeah. I just I just think it might be a good destination for him. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I thought, I'm, I'm just wondering, this: if I was working for the Sun newspaper and I was pulling a name, player's name out of a hat and a club's name out of a hat, I'd be linking him with Man United. Just the narrative around that would be, <laughs> um, would be really fascinating. Oh boy, that would you can't. I can hear the ambulance from here. <laughs> oh my word, uh, we we can't. Oh, if only we could talk about them this week. But anyway, we mustn't. We must move on to Brian Hill because Valencia are interested in taking Brian Hill back on loan for the twenty twenty three. T- 2022-23 season. Foof, tongue tire. Uh, we're rumoured to want a 1 million euro loan fee with Valencia covering most of his wages. Uh, Brian did fantastically well there in the second half of last season and it just seems somewhat like Lo Celso. It's another one of these, well, you know, it's a, it's a no-brainer, but there's still no full conclusion. That being said, I presume we're looking to hold on to him long term because he is mm. a prospect and, you know, he's someone that will probably have a future with us. Ideally, you'd like him to go to a Prem team to just get some acclimatisation with the the league and maybe the language and everything like a young kid needs to do. But he was 
he was comfortable at Valencia last year. He was back in his kind of his comfort zone, and I think he actually played some plenty of games for them. And I think are they Champions League this year, Valencia? I think I, I have. To I don't know if they're still in it. If they're in it again this year, but he was playing in so many games for them, and I think that's good for his progress as well. And I think age is on his side, so if he has to roll around another season there, I think we just have to accept that really. And I think that on balance might be better for his development. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Can well, I just say about the United thing? It's best to keep, I think we keep Man United in the bank for a week when we need to be cheered up because we've had a bad result. Because it's always well, we're great just about when to go someone... there. Well, no, we're, we're, you're, bad... you're, ant- you're no, anticipating good... their name is popping up all over this pod despite our greatest attempts not to bring them up because. And if you're confused by my crap humming of the Rockford Files, for those of you over 50, that is because the Manchester Evening News are reporting that we are interested in 21-year-old Manchester United midfielder James Garner, who, for those of you that didn't put it all together, will surely have realised James Garner played Jim Rockford in the Rockford Files, and I've just shown too much of my age. Anyway, Garner spent... Last season on loan Nottingham Forest, playing 44 times and helping them to promotion. He's got four England caps in the under-21 level. Um, and after making his debut last September, he's valued at 15 to £20 million. Pounds. Uh, Ali Gold has confirmed that we do hold an interest and that, quote, Paratici was impressed by the young England 21 midfielder every time he went to watch Spence in action last season. So let's watch this space. I know, uh, I will confess to complete ignorance here. I know nothing about him other than the fact he's got his namesake is the actor that played Jim Rockford in the Rockford Files which as you can tell has tickled me tremendously um yeah. anyone know anything about him or are we uh is this is just another time? Paratici this is Paratici doing his stuff right no I know, I know as much about him as I do about the Rockford Files uh, well excellent well I would expect you to be doing your revision there Gareth first of all I'm sure UK what Sky Gold or whatever those channels are one of them's got to have the Rockford Files at some point on at midnight and just stay up and watch it with a cup of Bovril and uh, <laughs> and yes uh, let's all look and see why James Garner is the latest Manchester United player to try and do a runner from the club shall we <laughs> <laughs> oh dear okay all right Okay, enough of the week that was and loans and everything. We are now at the main event. And the main event, of course, was our game at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Battle of the Bridge 2, I think we could probably refer to it as, even though I know Milo doesn't like these like little pocket titles. I think it's okay in this particular incidence. Um, You know... The team selection was as it was last week. Uh, let me just kick this off because I think this conversation is going to go, you know, it's going to go all over the place in the best possible way. So I'll start with a simple question for each of you. You know, what did you think of the team selection and how did we play overall? Let's start with those holistic questions, chaps. Well, I, th- I, th- I can understand why he went with the same starting eleven that played so well against Southampton. That was very much his method last year, that he, he keeps the same team when we go from weekend to weekend. Um, we didn't play well at all, and I'm going to try and view this game or, or discuss this from the first whistle to the last rather than looking at the result and then working our way back. And I thought we stunk the place out for 55 minutes. In fact, it was like, it felt like every game that we played at Stanford Bridge over the last two or three years until then we were second to the ball. It looked like we'd visibly shrunk in the tunnel walking down onto the pitch, which only happens against Chelsea. Which, by the way, was not reflected in your live commentary, uh, like in the, in, the, in the text thread that we run during games. You, you didn't share any of those sentiments whatsoever. <laughs> I was, I was, I was in, yeah, of course, I was incredibly positive. I was waiting for us to go and win 4-1 again, as we did last week. But, um, and accurate, but you were accurate. You're accurate, I have to say, so far. I, I would agree. But anyway, sorry. I interrupt, yeah, I, as is my want. Carry on. No, I, 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 think, we were, I think we were really bad. I think it was everything that's been, was, that was bad in our games against Chelsea earlier in 2022 came to the fore again with a team that was confident and was well established and was well suited and understood Conte's patterns but it was the same thing happened that we were just caught out all over the pitch it felt like there was at least two extra blue shirts on the pitch and there were white shirts Um, and it was it, it was it was really concerning the only thing that worked for it where I think we did play well is I think we must have been doing something well with our shape defensively that we were stopping them. They weren't reining in on goal. I can't remember Hugo having a great deal 
to do. So it was quite a tight game, but really nothing was working for us in possession of the ball. They were picking us off in midfield, and we, we, you know, we just couldn't play through them at all yet. They seemed to be able to play from back to front incredibly easy. So I was, I was very, very concerned, and it felt like this was going to be another graveyard for a Spurs team at Stamford Bridge. Um, I think it's quite a bit to unpick here, really. But I think I think a good starting point is my own mindset, and probably similar to other fans and even Conte. I think I think um, I've been quite bullish about us and the way we've been going since last season and through pre-season and even last week at Southampton. And I'm kind of coming into this game then enthused to think how how we might have closed the gap with Chelsea, how we match up against Chelsea, especially with reflecting with the three games last year, as everyone, including our manager, keeps talking about. And like Gareth said, I would I will say I think the first six, seven minutes we got after them and we did try to we we were pressing and we were trying to close down. But it didn't take long for that to maybe they kind of pass round us and through us a couple of times. And whether that sort of put us off that idea or I mean the one thing I will have to mention here as well is is if you're going for a bit of a rabid pressing game, then in the weather that it was like on Sunday, that's gonna be really hard to do, especially for a long amount of time. And so the game then settled into them then controlling the game. And to be honest, not a lot went on from our point of view in a positive sense. We were kind of, we were kind of just falling back into our 5 4 1 shape or whatever and trying to contain them. And the other thing I'll say is, and this is from personal experience, is also when the weather's hot and you haven't got the ball, that's a load harder than when you've got the ball. You're a lot more enthusiastic when you've got the ball and you're passing and you're dictating the game. So both of those things, whether you're pressing or whether you're just chasing the ball, even in a defensive position, is a lot harder to keep going with. But um, And I think largely it was, we, as like Gary said, we kept them at bay. And I think that's because we are quite solid when we're in that formation. But any chance of us getting out, tactically they were... I presume, superbly set up. And I think Tuchel is very much good at that. He's he's an expert at that kind of thing. He can analyse the game really well, in-game as well as before the game, setting his team up. And, and I've said in other games before, even against the good teams, it's quite bizarre how sometimes the ball gets laid out to Kane and no one's directly up his bum trying to stop him from doing it. Chelsea were all over that. They were Whether it went out to some, whether it went out to Kane, they were shutting things off. And then if we spread it wide, they were kind of double teaming up on Kulusevski. I mean, obviously they've got a very good, uh, they've got ter- two very powerful players on that right-hand side with Rhys James and um, um, who's the other chap, big chap? <laughs> Help me. Loftus Cheek. And then they've got Cucurello, who has an excellent debut for them on the left as well so um we were we were kind of up against it we couldn't really make many inroads but um we kept ourselves in the game it's interesting you mentioned Loftus Cheek it was an interesting selection from from Tuchel and and obviously his physicality and uh, and his ability to carry the ball was considered to be very important and proved to be I thought um I thought that we came into the game with quite possibly the worst sort of hubbub around it that you could want going into this fixture. Uh, basically, that Chelsea are second class and, you know, in the wilderness um, and, and that we are going to absolutely thump them. And I think that's a dangerous thing to do with a manager like Tuchel, who is a very combative manager uh, anyway, and he's up for the fight. Um, and it also ignores the fact that they have spent big money on several good players. I mean, they have. I mean, they they had three players yesterday in Sterling, Cucurella and Koulibaly, um, all, I believe, making their home debuts, uh, you know, and that's a lot of money and a lot of talent. So right there, you add that to who they had last season, and it was clearly a bit of a false flag, I think, to say that they are not the same side. And then when you add that that preamble, which is going to fire Tuchel up, you know, I felt that Chelsea played the game yesterday the way that West Ham play against us. It's like it was like a cup final for them. It was a chance for them to really launch their season. But also, they always step up against us. We should take it as a compliment, really. You know, that's. I don't think Chelsea are going to play that well for another six weeks at least. I think that you. that's probably the best performance they're going to put in, uh, maybe, you know, until the World Cup. They were dominant in every area their aggression was uh, perplexing to me in the sense of we didn't seem able to match the physicality that they brought to the game we had no answer to to N'Golo Kante and then one other thing I did notice um, 
you know, I've, we're all trying to pick apart who was at fault for for Koulibaly's goal. And depending on your perspective, you know, you'd say that either I think Sonny should have been tighter to him and seeing that many people think Royale should have been, albeit he had Sterling to look at. Ricky, as you pointed out, you know, when you have a zonal marking system, that stuff can happen. But one thing that was surprising was I read somewhere that Chelsea usually, you know, they very rarely put an outswinging corner into the mix. but uh, and, and that was an outswinging corner that absolutely blew our zone apart. Um, you know, I'm surprised that we're not picking up those potentials and we're not able to adjust to those situations on the field. So I think there are a lot of things, especially in that first half, that I found quite surprising, you know, in that sense. Um, I do want to, you know, talk a little bit about a couple of the incidents early doors. I think we'd be remiss not to mention the early challenge uh, with uh, Christian Romero. And Cucurella, I think, it, you know, it set the tone in terms of nastiness for the game. Um, you know, they came together and Cucurella ended up landing on Romero in a way that I think some of us felt could have been avoided. Uh, there was no attempt to deflate the situation or to say, I'm sorry. Uh, do you guys think that that was sort of, you know, a little bit of extra gasoline on a fire that really didn't need any, given the conditions? Am I right in saying that that might have been a catalytic moment for what was to come? I think Cutie never forgets, does he? <laughs> no he doesn't no, no. yeah um, I mean I think you're going to probably get fire from Cootie anyway so to to poke poke that fire is just like a risky game from Cucurella but then having said that Cucurella seems quite up for it in any game he plays so I yeah, suppose he's yeah. you know he's a pretty much a bit of a matador isn't he you know he likes yeah. to like you know the old it, raging it very, <laughs> it was very spicy and you know and, and again there are a lot of challenges in the first half and this goes to Anthony Taylor who we will be talking about a little later that you know you're saying that maybe last season we were saying that maybe last season you know it's a lot more of a stop start game but you know Anthony Taylor by the edict you know is that they're all trying to let the game flow a bit more and I felt that Chelsea were very much more prepared to ride that physical line than we were they were really walking it quite tight in certain places um so you know it was then to me a surprise that we did manage to get getting behind them and we had that chance of Ryan Sessegnon which he I think he's gonna have to you know, really put those away quite regularly when he had that one-on-one and, you know, which, you know, the one I'm talking about in the first half, the balls yeah. split, you know, split Chelsea open. He's one-on-one. I think that's what Antonio wants. I mean, he wants him to put those away. And then conversely on the other side, Emerson did get into a couple of really good positions and, and, you know, really didn't deliver crosses of even remotely the quality you want. I mean, it's, it's very easy for us to forget that in that first half, we did actually create several very good opportunities to either have a good shot on target, score, or, you know, cause more trouble than we did. Uh, but it got lost somewhere in the narrative, isn't it? It's got lost that, that fact. Well, I, think, I think early on, there was the, the, that's what I say, when we had the old, when we, when we were closing them down and pressing them, I think we had that one where we lofted it over to Emerson and then he had just enough space to like, before it went out of play to get it across and didn't really do that great a job. And also I think, Kulu just didn't quite put enough heat on a ball to Sun, literally uh, around that um, exact same time as well. Where if he did just, and I think that's what, to be honest, I would say. I mean, someone's okay, but he's he's, he's just not quite free flowing yet. But I think what he needs, because this happened in the other game against Southampton, he just needs he needs a few kind of perfect balls to him where he really then just doesn't have to think about it, and he'll be off to the races again. I mean, it's. He's, he's, he falls into the cane camp now, really, where you can't. I don't really want to say negative to him because I just know the good, the, the good form will come. So, but yeah, we did. We and Sessignon, going back to what you was you were saying there, I think he will need to keep on the side of Conte, and I don't mean in his good books. I just mean in his thoughts. He's going to need to take those chances because I think, like you say, that's he's got that in his locker because he's he's got plenty of goals for Fulham. So yeah. he that will keep him in the team or high up in the selection list. I don't really go, as I said the other week, I don't really go for this whole team thing too much now. People will come in and out and hopefully the quality right. will be there beyond the 1 to 11. So, but for him to, for him to definitely cement a place in Conte's thoughts for the whole season, I think if he's, if he becomes a goal scorer, not, you know, not Kane or some, but like a, a wing back goal scorer, then right. I think that's really going to be positive for him. Yeah, I, I, I thought that setting your moment was probably indicative of how we played in that first half. Our first half that we were slightly rabbit caught in headlights and we're overthinking everything and just that maybe extra touch that Sessegnon took, he probably wouldn't have taken if it was the 
35th minute last week against Southampton. He just wouldn't, he just would have instinctively stroked it into the far corner. Um, but yeah, everything that everyone did yesterday just felt like there was too much thought went into it. They perhaps overthought things. Um, and the instinct was taken away from them a little bit. Yeah, I think I think yeah. sometimes that can be as well because you get you feel, if you're being a bit hounded by the other team. In other words, you always know yes. someone's there. You turn around, you turn to someone. Sometimes you can just feel a bit claustrophobic in your game because of that, and and it can be and it can be hard if if and it's if it's, and if there's no let up from that, then you can get in a bit of a kind of a bit of a, a bit of a rut with yourself and your mental thoughts. I think sometimes. Yeah. By the way, you did mention Sonny there, and I'm going to bring this up right now. I've been very disappointed to see, you know, the usual like social media, you know, let's have a go at someone campaign off to the races. And it seems that Sonny has been targeted by a few people. Um, I mean, we're probably doing a disservice to even mention these no names, but, you know, that people basically saying that, you know, he should be dropped and he's, you know, was awful and so on and so forth. I mean, as you said, Ricky, you know, he's, he's, I, I mean, I think he is too good to drop. I really do. And for all those who say that he's not been contributing this season, he did contribute last week against Southampton and he was a key part of the first goal, uh, uh yesterday at the, at the bridge as well. So I think people need to, to really wind it, you know, wind themselves in and, and, and understand, you know, that Sonny, you know, he is a streaky player in that sense, but he's, Never uninvolved. So um, I think it's important that we put that out there. Uh, the second half comes upon us. Um, it's I think we're all expecting uh, perhaps something, you know, a little uh, a little different, a little bit more of the same, though, isn't it, really? I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just the, the same that, you know, Chelsea just coming on to us. We're kind of hanging in there, <laughs> doing what we can. Um, and then all of a sudden uh, there is... Uh, something that we never thought we'd see from Antonio Conte. Who wants to take this one up? Well, yeah, it felt like you just threw a bit of a Hail Mary pass in the end. Um, mm. I think they said in commentary the only other time he's gone to a 4-4-2 was also against Chelsea last year. And I just wondered whether um, he he stripped it all back and everything that he's learned and everything that he wants to do as a coach and just thought, I'm going to do something that's hopefully going to confuse them more than it confuses us. But and, it was almost a four-two-four at some points. Yeah, actually. no, it, with with Kulu and, and and Sunny White of Kane and Richarlison, it was almost. Yeah. I've got nothing else to lose here. Let's just try a bit of chaos ball and and, and see what happens. And it did work. So for the ten minutes, suddenly Chelsea players weren't in the right positions. They weren't covering the right areas on the field uh, to where our players were and where the where the ball was going. And we had a very very limited time window to try and get that equaliser and. Probably we should have got it a couple of minutes before we before we did. Because I think just about the time we scored was when Tuchel had worked out how to counter that and had started. I think Rhys James had moved over to right wing back possibly at that point. So the goal came at an absolutely crucial moment. And, you know, I, I think as much as you can analyse games, sometimes it just comes down to those sort of random moments of, of, of good fortune. And I think had that goal not gone in at that point, if it, another 30 seconds or a minute had elapsed, Chelsea would have probably reorganised and they'd have picked us apart at will, as they then did for the 10 minutes after we had equalised. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think before that there was a, another thing that I thought I'd never see, which was did, is that when Kane scuffed his shot? Was it? Was that before oh. we scored? It was, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It and was, that was a uh, that was. Scuff. You just That's... you just thought the corner of the net. I mean, yeah. it was somewhat like when you. I mean, it was sitting there framed, somewhat like when you hung your ass out in the uh, in <laughs> in the Park Lane last season as a target for. Sorry, I shouldn't be bringing that up again. Yeah. But no, I mean, yeah. it was so obvious. You thought it was a fader complete, didn't you? It's going to go. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That was astounding. And he he actually swore at himself on the pitch for missing it. I mean, I, yeah. so uncanny yeah. like, because these days that is almost. Yes. I say well. I say 99 out of 100, so it was obviously the one out of 100 that he scored. So, yeah. yeah, but but that yeah. but that happened because Richarlison was on the pitch and occupied yeah. a different space, which therefore yeah. meant yeah. that yeah. Kulu and Sonny were in slightly wider positions and dragged their wing backs or, or, or wide defenders into different areas. So sometimes just changing the shape like that as a real curveball can cause confusion and can cause instances where say 99 times out of 100 that then provides the equalizer well yeah. i think i think conte is probably very much a manager where he wants things he, he's so set in his ways that he wants the game to be played how he wants it 
and he's convinced that that will work. And he's probably talked to them at half time and said and thought himself, I'll give this another 10 minutes. And he's literally watching the game and just thinking, there's just no change here. This is just not going my way. And yeah. it must be a big thing for him to think, as you say, to just do that kind of. I'm going to just tear everything up and just change the, you know, yeah. change the formation or whatever playing here. Well, it, I mean, every, every now and then it works, and the best moment yes. in our recent history in in Amsterdam, that's what happened because Potts yeah. ripped up the playbook that day and think I'm going to stick Lorente on up front and I'm going to have like two defenders and we're just going to lump it up and see yeah, what big happens. Billy and, knock on, the big yeah. Billy knock on, yeah, yeah. It was Lucas Moore as the is the architect of chaos ball as well was was right at the centre of that. But I mean, other examples I can give you the the ninety nine Champions League final. Ferguson finished the game with four centre forwards on yeah. the pitch and two of yeah. them came on and, and scored the equaliser and the winner. So it does work very occasionally. More often than not, it, it it doesn't because at some point it actually causes you more problems than it than it causes your opponents. But you have that limited yeah. time window. And you know, and it and it worked to a point. And you know, we 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 should uh, go. I'm I'm trying to do this in chronology as opposed to like topics per chunk. So we're taking a slightly different approach this week. You know, we had before our equaliser, we had the first of um what I would call the sort of the the true boiling points coming up. The thing that really pushed the simmer to a boil, if you will, which was the Bentoncore uh, challenge on the increasingly irritating and might I say slappable Kai Havertz. I mean, just just he he just I mean, objectively, he's a player you'd want because he really, really gets stuck in and he's got such a mooey on him, if you will. He's got such a such a grumpy face. Just looks consistently pissed off at the world. Um but I, I, I think he's a I think he's a very I think he's a player who walks the line and is sometimes quite lucky to stay on a football pitch. Having said that, he was the one who was going through on goal when Rodrigo Bentoncourt put in an literally millimetre perfect uh challenge from our perspective, but from the Chelsea's perspective, their bench Havertz himself and everyone and their supporters was a clear and egregious foul that wasn't given. Let's be very brief. Foul or not? I say no. I say he did get his foot to the ball from an angle that was uh, good enough to not be taking the man out at the same time. But of course, I appreciate I am a diehard supporter of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. But chaps? Um, on, on replays, I'm with you, Steph. Yeah. Uh, my safe answer is that Anthony Taylor, who was 10 yards away from it and is one of our best referees in Europe, didn't think it was a foul and therefore it isn't a foul. Excellent. And the other thing that we should also remind people is there were at least, what, I think two passages of play in between that challenge. 44 seconds. Yeah, which I think in 44 seconds, given how, how, you know, well Chelsea had worked to keep us out, I think that you could safely say that the responsibility for conceding that goal lies with them. Of course, there was then another wonderful excuse pulled out by Thomas Tuchel as to why that goal should be disallowed. So this is the second excuse for a goal, um, which I thought was somewhat alarming, which was that apparently uh, he felt Richarlison's offside position was stopping Mendy from a clear sight of the ball. Now, I, I, I've looked at that this goal from several angles, and I, I'm sorry, if, that, if that's obstruction and you want to claim obstruction for that, then you really need to rewrite the offside rule that says that any player standing in an offside position is just interfering with play end of story because I didn't think he was in the goalkeeper's line of vision at all. Did I, am, I, am I again looking at this with Spurs tinted glasses or is it another of Thomas Tuchel's like, you know, droning Scottish bagpipe whinges? I think he, A, is in an offside position, but that doesn't mean it's an offence. And right. I think he is in the goalkeeper's line of vision. But what the really? experts seem to be, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's... I, I think I, so. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I've heard experts saying today, and I say that I'm talking about ex, refer, ex-professional referees, have said that the distance of the shot plays a part in that as well um, I mean interestingly I would say Leicester but he doesn't play for him anymore but if the, we'd scored that goal against Kasper Schmeichel he would have been running up to the halfway line with his arm in the air protesting blue murder about that um, and he may well have put more pressure on the VAR referee to have had a look at that interesting so I, I, okay. so, so, so I do think that um, unusually for Chelsea they didn't shit house enough in that situation. I think a more experienced team and a more experienced wow. goalkeeper um, okay. would be protesting about that and they would have put pressure on there. And I think there is a case to be answered that potentially it could have been given as offside. Good Lord, we're actually going against the grain of my preamble at the beginning where I said if you're expecting a fair and balanced pod, then you can bugger off. Actually, uh, welcome those who do want a fair and balanced pod. No, well, that's, 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 that's good to get the perspective, Gareth, because you, I, of I course, think, uh, I think, thing. I think he could, he could see 
that he had a he had a vision on the ball. He could see the ball, but he was very slightly leaning to his left to see it. So you could argue that that means your weight's on that foot. So if the shot comes the other side, you're kind of disadvantaged yourself a little bit. As regards to whether Richarlison's then, but you could argue Richarlison's on the same line as the Chelsea player as well. So it's not like Richarlison's spread out. Yeah. Yeah. With the, you know, creating more kind of unsightedness, if that's a word, uh, for the goalie. But, um, and uh, it's interesting to say what Gravis said. So you say the dis- do you mean the distance between where the ball is to the player that's offside, or do you mean just the distance of the shot into the goal matters? I, th- I, th- I think it's both of them from what Dermot Gallagher said on Sky this morning in his analysis of it. So I, th- I think all the experts I've seen have all suggested that the goal should stand. Yeah, I And I'd like to think if that game was, if the same incident happened in Wolves against Fulham at the weekend, I'd, I'd come to the same conclusion and say, by the spirit of the game, really, the goal should be awarded. But I say I, I would so. have some sympathy for a defending team and a, and a goalkeeper in that situation. I think, um, I mean, I agree. I think goals, goals like that don't need to be disallowed. No, no. And I have to look, I have to throw this in, even though I know we're trying to move at a little bit of pace here, but I have to throw this in. I mean, I just, they have had so much luck against us in, in, in recent modern history. So much luck. So what if we got a shred of fucking luck against them? You know, why does the entire universe like start going up in arms. And as for Thomas Tuchel complaining, two complaints for one goal, and we haven't even got to the second goal yet, and my word, we are going to. But, you know, this really smacked of a team and a club that are used to getting their own way. You know, he really did. I've I've seen all this Anthony Taylor petitions and he's against us and so on, whatever. <laughs> it feels like they always, they've had the run of everything for so long now that now suddenly they, that they're maybe not getting the run of it, whether it be, you know, financially or so on and so forth. I don't know. You know, it's, it just seems that it's about time that they started to live in the normal world of football where you get some decisions and you don't get others. And it just so happens that it happened in this game, you know, once for sure, possibly twice. And we discussed this off pod. I know that, you know, of the, of the two goals, you maybe have expected one of these decisions to go their way. Well, it didn't happen today. So fantastic, you know, and they should just move on with it. And let's, let's let me try and advance this. Um, we're very excited about this game, as you can tell. So it's a little all over the place, but we're going to keep moving forward. This chaos ball is going. As you quite rightly said, Gareth, they adjusted. Chelsea adjusted to it. And that culminated in uh, them really scoring a second goal, which, as Milo had also said in, in when we were in the chat on our WhatsApp group, you know, and as Antonio Conte also said, you know, that second goal doesn't probably occur if we're in our normal shape. I mean, it was a very pretty routine goal. They they sort of drew everyone out of position and had the, the, the run of the right-hand side. Uh, but again, it started, I think we were a little soft in the challenge uh, initially when the ball was coughed up, to be honest. I believe it was Kulu who, who coughed up over there in the corner. Um, not in the corner, but on the far side. A little soft. He, was, he, had, he had a tough game. I think he, he got an education, I think, myself. You know, 21-year-old, he would. But that goal, any thoughts on it beyond what I've just uh, surmised? Yeah, we were in a really bad defensive position as part of that transition. So as soon as we lost the ball, no one instinctively was, was where they needed to be. And we were all dragged out to that right side of the pitch. In fact, if you take a freeze frame at the point the ball gets passed to Sterling, it, it, it bisects two of our players. And um, there's Sterling in the middle of the pitch. And Ben Davis is the only player on the left half of the field um, who can who can try and intervene. And it's, it's 2v1 at that point. But the damage had already been done. So if you remember just before that was when Bruce James gets down the right-hand side and crosses the ball for Havertz, who yes. inexcusably, inexplicitly misses yes. from about seven yes. yards out where he really should have done better. So the, yep. the, the, the cast had already set by then. And... It's only when I saw the replay, in fact, it was the replay of Tuchel running up and down the touchline. But at that point, you can see both Perisic and Bissouma are stripped and ready to come on. So Conte knows that chaos ball is over and we've got to go back to the back, to the 3-4-3 pretty quickly. Um, but he wasn't able to make that change quickly enough. So again, you talk about matter of seconds. Had we been able to defend that situation or had, um, you know, even if, if Kulu had been 
challenge and the ball had gone out for a throw in on the far side at that moment, play would have been stopped. So we'd have brought those two subs on and we'd have changed the shape again and we'd have been able to, to, to defend that situation in the way that we would normally with a back three. And that would never have happened. So um, to be fair to Conte, he recognised that Chaos Ball had a very, very limited window of opportunity, which by that point had passed. By the way, we've lost Ricky for the moment, uh, I'm afraid to say. So um, hopefully he will come back and join us. Uh, Yes, I've got to say that uh, the other thing that happened immediately after that (laughs) that goal, uh, Thomas Tuchel doing uh, what I consider to be a a bit of a Basel 40 and absolutely careering. down the touchline past Conti, who it must be said had already started all of this by going right up to Thomas Tuchel after we equalised with Pierre-Emile Hoybier's wonderful long-range strike and got right up in his face. That had been the first uh, the first scuffle. So it was clear that these two were on their own trajectory that was only going to end in one place and nobody was doing anything to soften the blow. Perisic comes on. Now, I think we can quite safely say that Perisic's um, introduction was was a major, major positive. I mean, he really did help affect and stay. I felt he's helped stabilise the, the situation, to be fair, first and foremost. Do you think that's fair to say? I, it's hard to say because there's a couple of moving parts there. So not only did he come back on, but we then went back to a system that we're more comfortable and more familiar yeah. with, of which the left wing back clearly plays a very integral part in that as well. Um, I think it's by that point that we then had Lucas Moore on the right hand side as well. Yeah. Come on, and of course, Basuma was in the was in the middle. Um, so, so I'm deflecting away from your original question about which is fine, which is fine. What, what that, that, because, well, they all they all have a role. I mean, I'm starting with Perisic, but why not go there? Why not go there with all the subs? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we made it, we made a number of changes, and it's, it's difficult to to attribute what happened. Um, so the thing that I really noticed about Perisic in coming on is that he takes set pieces with both feet, which is which is really unusual. So even yeah. um, you know even Sonny, who, who's brilliantly two footed, he generally will take all the set pieces with his right foot, whether it's an outswinger or a, or an inswinger. Um, but Perisic took a free kick with his right foot and then took the corner from with his with his left foot, which. It actually adds so many different options as well to what you can do, and it's a good way of um, of just keeping the opponents on their on your toes on their toes as well. I thought Bissouma when we've we've brought him up. I think Bissouma really did put a little extra pep and obviously a little extra aggression moving on to the moving on to the ball carrying. He just seemed to to have a little more of an incisive energy about him, and and he did bring a little boost to our uh, you know what little possession we were able to get he he did seem to really cultivate and of course you know we should point out that it was one of his uh, thunderous shots that resulted in the uh, in the corners that uh, then you know ended up leading to to the equalizer so he had a very very strong effect yeah, no, he, he he played a role in it. I, I think, I, in fact, I don't want to listen to any Chelsea fans or Chelsea podcasts, but it'd be interesting to get their perspective because they their season was plagued last season by being a goal up against teams that they were dominating and then being pegged back with late goals. So Burnley, Everton, amongst others went there and got very, very late equalisers having not been in the game. So it'd be interesting to know whether similar things happen to them. So do they freeze slightly when they've only got that one goal advantage going into the last five or ten minutes of a, of, of a game, which opened up the opportunities for us to win a couple of set pieces deep into their territory late on? But I don't yep. really care about Chelsea, but it worked for us. Yeah, and late on we will go. We will go to the two corners. Of course, the second, or shall we say third, of Thomas Tuchel's goal complaints happened uh, at the set piece before the one that, you know, ended up in our equaliser. Uh, we had the, the hair-pulling uh, uh, furore, if you will, which has, seems to have dominated uh, a lot of complaints uh, from the Chelsea camp. And there's been a lot of uh, just a really strange hand-wringing about how on earth can hair-pulling be allowed in the modern age and all this stuff. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit tired, to be honest. And I, I, I mean, I'm going to give my perspective and then please come in with yours there, Gareth. I think that nobody's also looking at the fact that Cucurella has two arms or two hands, sorry, I should say, on uh, on on Romero's uh, armpits, and I don't think he's protecting them from the heat. Um, I think when you grab a player by the armpits, you're you're you're, you're pinching or you're pulling. I'd say there's just it seems there's six one half dozen of the other there, and uh, you know 
Anthony Taylor, again, is right on the spot and has obviously looked at that and they've looked at that in VAR and thought, well, that's two players just, they're sort of wrestling in the penalty box and that's precisely the sort of thing that, you know, it's, it's very hard to adjudicate. Could he have got a yellow card for that? I, yeah. I think it's wholly possible. Uh, is it given very often? I'm not sure. I don't know. But again, I, I just, I thought it was just a really big attack of the lemons there again. Am I being I think, am I being over biased or not? Yeah, you you are. Okay. <laughs> I think, I, think I, I think you can dress it up as much as you like. I, I think we were okay. incredibly lucky that VAR, well, first of all, that Anthony Taylor didn't see it directly, and secondly, that VAR didn't flag it up. There seems as if there's some ambiguity that there's actually nothing in the laws about whether pulling hair is um, <laughs> is a violent is a violent conduct. Offense. There's a difference between unsporting behaviour and violent conduct. So if Anthony Taylor hasn't spotted it, which we'll assume he hasn't, and let's be fair, there was plenty going on in that group of players immediately around him at the time. Um, Mike Dean, who was on VAR yesterday, has got to be convinced that it was an act of violent conduct and not unsporting behaviour. So if it's unsporting behaviour and you're saying VAR is not there to recommend to referees that they issue yellow cards or they spot fouls that aren't worthy of red cards. He can only interfere and say, I have seen an incident here, which I think is worthy of a red card, i.e. it's violent conduct. I don't want you to have a look at it. And it, it apparently there's, there's just too much ambiguity about the specifics of pulling somebody's hair, which I dare say will be written into IFAB laws uh, before too long, because it will probably happen again, because if nothing else, players will realise they've got a chance of getting away with it. Um, so... Again, it's one of those that if it happened against you, you'd be you'd, you'd be appalled by it. I think just to clear up something else, we were talking about this off air as well. The ball was in play when that happened, so therefore the free kick would have been given to Chelsea. It would have been a red card if it was violent conduct and a free kick to Chelsea. If it, the incident happened before the kick had been taken, i.e., ball wasn't in play, it would still be a red card. Um, but the corner would then come in anyway. So um, wow. I think, so, there, there, I think some of the, there's, a, there's a sort of a false narrative that some Chelsea people are creating here. Um, but yeah, either, either way, we, we've got to be honest, we, we, we got lucky with that one on another day. Uh, the decision could have been very, very different and Chelsea right. would have been taking a free kick in the 96th minute inside their own penalty area against 10 Spurs players. Well, I, I suppose in that sense, if I'm going to take your perspective of it, which of course I still famously or furiously can't allow myself to do, I should say, I still think uh, that. But taking your perspective, maybe it's satisfying for all the times that we have had terrible decisions at the hands of them. There have been a couple of phantom goals and, 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 and other various matters that have occurred over the years against them. We have really most certainly not got the rub of the green when we should have. So maybe this is one back for the good guys. And it was one back for the good guys. It was... Um, as we've already said, uh, as you said, Perisic, you know, two-footed delivery, not at the same time, of course, but you can put them in from either side. Excellent, excellent uh, corners. I mean, harder not to put that ball in the back of the net somehow than to put it in. In it goes. Chaos ensues. Um, all sorts of, uh, you know, celebrations. Um, uh, the match ends. And uh, well, I suppose we should, the, final, the final act here, I suppose we should look at the handshake, really, shouldn't we? I mean, you know. I mean, what on earth uh, is going on there? I mean, why on earth is Thomas Tuchel like engaging in that if he doesn't want a fight? I mean, I think that that's that's just. I mean, they both wanted it, didn't they? They both wanted to have a Barney rubble there, right? Well, it's very much like one of those fights that you used to see at school, where the, the two square <laughs> up against each other, knowing full well that thirty people are going to run in between, and when it actually it actually <laughs> comes to something so happening, true. didn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, look, look, if you if you, you you put two managers who are incredibly emotional characters, um, and you give them a set of circumstances like that, and then get them to shake hands straight after the game, then something's going to happen. I, I actually question what the value is in the handshake at the end of the game. Anyway, yeah. I'm sure it'd be much better if they did it half an hour later once they've done the media interviews. It's yeah. it's, it's just for show, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, the whole thing became a theatre. There were two red cards. I mean, I dare say, I suppose technically you do have to censor them. You know, you have to say this is not good. But I mean, I, I cannot for the life of me truly think that, you know, they neither of them should be on the touchlines next week at their respective games. By the letter of the law, yes. But by, you know, common sense, I think you just 
you just say, well, this happened. Let's not let it happen again. And you move on. But that's just, again, I freely admit I probably have a slightly uh, biased look at things. Um, but, you know, it, it, it just all seemed so, uh, so unnecessary and, and so silly, yet so entertaining and so wonderful. I mean, I, I personally thought it, it, it added to the, it added to the value of the game as an entertaining spectacle. And it really, you know, I, I have no, I, I had no complaints about it happening. I just thought it was, you know, the whole thing was just silly. It was theatre. It was pantomime, right? Yeah, I know it, it was, and it's, it's good to see with you know John Terry long gone and Rudiger now gone that Caesar Aspelaqueta seems to establish himself as the chief oh. Chelsea prick who yeah. had to get involved in that as well. And bad words with with Conte, no doubt yeah. thanking him for the league title that he managed to win for him. Yeah, yeah, back in, yeah. You know, back in twenty seventeen. Yeah. So there it was. And somehow we've picked our way through uh, many of the controversial points. We may even have forgotten a couple. I'm sure if we did, you will be keen to let us know on on Twitter uh, or Instagram even. Um, So let's just wrap it up here. And again, uh, we did lose Ricky uh, in the middle of this pod, which is uh, most unfortunate because it would have been nice to have heard his take on the final battle on the touchline, if you will. Uh, Which, by the way, before I forget, I should mention, as trivial as I think it is, um, and this did come in quite late, they have both been charged, haven't they? Um, they've been charged with misconduct, I believe. Is that the charge? They yeah, I'm, not sure, by, that, I'm, I'm not sure if that relates to the fact that they both got the red card or whether it relates to something else that happened since. See, Conte's had a bit of bants with him on, um, on Instagram, hasn't he? Yeah, and I've seen that, you know, the FA are investigating Tuchel, uh, Tuchel's Chelsea have issues with referee comments. I think it's all to do with, you know, some of the social media stuff. I mean, Antonio doesn't really say very much and he didn't really say very much yesterday. Uh, albeit he cloaked you know he cloaked some the responses and i gave the quote at the top of the, the pod that he gave about when met with aggression I'll, I'll give it back basically but he didn't really say too much i didn't think about the referees or any of that so i think that this is just the fa doing what they feel they have to do in the eye of the public um albeit i suppose tuchel has you know he stepped over the line there saying that anthony taylor shouldn't be refereeing chelsea games you mm. can't you can't really say that but yeah that's got quite a heinous act for a Manager to be talking that strongly about a, about a referee and Chelsea and it's worth pointing out here because not all of our listeners will necessarily know this but Chelsea have got about a five year standing um, yeah. issue with Anthony Taylor that dates back to him sending off Victor Moses quite rightly in the 2017 FA Cup final yeah. and he seems like he's just got in, in, into a run of games Anthony Taylor where every time he goes does a game with Chelsea that he ends up having to send a, you know, a Chelsea player off or um, something happens. I mean, we should point out he was the referee who sent off Sonny at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for that, um, you know, for raking his studs into Rudiger's chest, which, you know, actually was quite a right thing to do. VAR suggested that he, that he did. Well, that. I'm going to put my glove, my, my glasses on there as well. I would say uh, raking his studs across his chest is a most generous, uh, a generous uh, view of it. I would say lightly flicking his studs towards Rudiger's chest but at that that notwithstanding what you're actually trying to point out here is and this is one for Chelsea to remember is that there was maybe uh, a weird sending off that, that that did go in their favor and I suppose again as you're saying by the letter of the law I suppose that is a sending off uh, yeah no that one was that's, that's, that was definitely violent conduct um, but we had it with Howard Webb a number of years ago when it felt like every yeah. time he refereed us, there was a major you know, decision that went against us, the which, which later proved to be a mistake. And you know, I know this, and he's written this in his, wrote this in his book, that he recognised that he'd done about 10 Spurs games in a row, and in each one, he'd made a catastrophic error that cost Spurs yeah. something, which was actually why he ended up doing the testimonial, Ledley King's testimonial game. And if you remember, he had a bit of banter with Lewis Holtby where he, one of them pushed the other one over, which was a premeditated move. And that really played on, on his mind. Yeah. And I think each time he goes back, I suspect something similar is, is happening with Anthony Taylor. But what's it, some 83,000 Chelsea numpties have signed a petition. Um, but anyway, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be going back to school in, in three weeks and starting year eight. So they'll have other things to occupy their minds with. There you go, and I think it should be said that you know, uh, in the in the in the modern age, I think everyone is trying to engage in as much um, you know off the pitch sort of advantage as they can, and I'm sure that Chelsea will be using these incidents, and Thomas Tuchel will be using this situation to galvanise and 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 unite, and sort of you know we're you know we have to 
you know, band together as a, as a club and fight these injustices. I mean, it's all about leveraging whatever you can to get whatever advantage you can in the future. And there seems to be a really big whiff of that uh, around all of this um, protesting and so on and so forth. But that being said, we have ended up at uh, closing thoughts, one positive and one negative. So uh, three, two, one. It's going to be me then, isn't it? Um, mm. So, well, look, the, the positive is we got a point when we didn't deserve it, and that point might be crucial towards the end of the season, and it may also just provide us a little bit more confidence next time we play Chelsea that perhaps we won't shrink those three inches because we'll know that if you stay in the game against them, um, that sometimes luck will be on your on your side. Um, the negative, and, and by the way, so on that on that positive. For all the failings that we had, that was so specific to playing Chelsea. So at no point when we were playing so badly did I think that this is going to transcend into any forthcoming fixtures because those were things that only ever happened against Chelsea. Um, the And the other positive, it's going to be a hell of a long time before we got to play in a league game at Stamford Bridge again with it being only the second game of the season. The um, The... The negative is that Conte won't be on the touchline next week, and okay, it's only Wolves and it's a it's a home game. But I do think he adds a couple of percent to our chances of winning a game. Just his his presence on the touchline, and we'll be without that next Saturday. Yes, I think um, I'm going to go with my negative here first because I want to end on a positive. I felt that the negative was, um, you know, we really allowed ourselves to get pushed around a little bit yesterday. And I, I, I felt that that was, um, there was a learning curve for a couple of our younger, very talented stars like, like, like Decky and so on. They really got a schooling in how to, to stand up to some of that tough, um, uh, a bit of play that they're going to have to face. Um, and I was, I was a little taken aback by, by how we really weren't able to physically impose ourselves on the game as much as I would like to have done so, um, albeit we did manage to hang in. And that brings me to my positive. My positive is that this really, this result really had the ring to me of the first Battle of the Bridge, as it's now called, in uh, uh, under Poch, uh, that 2-2, um, because we had to dig deep and find whatever we could to claw this game into in, into a place where we could get something from it and we did that and we did that in the face of uh in you know a lot of physical intimidation and again as we discussed at the top a Chelsea side that you know this was a cup final for them and they saw us as a cup final and they wanted and they turned up you know probably a good 20% more than they'll turn up against most teams this season it feels to me like it could be as important a 2-2 draw at Stamford Bridge as the one we had under Poch several years ago and that's such a positive where we're going in the future so um anyway we are going to wrap this up unfortunately uh ricky never got back to us i suppose the storms He's tried, are, didn't he? he has the storms are rolling but uh i will say that we will be back next week to discuss our game against wolves as well as all of the latest spurs gossip and rumors that have been happening during the week gareth thank you so much thank you steph thank you ricky wherever you are <laughs> Thank you for listening. Subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and give us a follow on Twitter. And as always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.